This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hey guys, it's Lane here with the Simple Passive Cashflow Podcast. I got a guest today, Buck Joffrey. He's from Chicago, Illinois. He's uh, quite the high-level uh, investor that I've met through these different workshops I've been to. Uh, how you doing, Buck? Doing good. Lane, thanks for having me. Buck, I don't know if you realize this, but, um, you know, we had lunch that one day down there in Texas. You know, listen to your story and you get being a high-level surgeon in your day job. You're quite the serial entrepreneur. And what I took away from our conversation was that paying for all this training and you're trying to dig a hole, but you're, you're not worried one bit about how much that shovel costs. And that was something that's really propelled me these last few months to kind of get the training that I need to, uh, to reach my goals. So I thank you for that. Oh, yeah, you're welcome. So I've got these questions queued up. First question here is how much uh, simple passive cash flow are you making today and how you're doing it? Well... Uh, it's a good question. I mean, I think, um, and it depends how you you define simple passive cash flow, right? So, passive cash flow. I mean, as you know, I'm a uh, you know I'm also a physician. I don't I work as a physician two days a week. Passive cash flow uh, certainly make more than any other physician I am around, uh, just with my passive cash flow. So, I couldn't give you an exact number, but but it's it's substantial. Good enough. <laughs> Question two here. So I always talk about uh, this Han Solo moment with my buddies. And as we all know, Han Solo from Star Wars, this guy was cruising in the galaxy with his buddy Chewbacca. And they were just low-life smugglers. But their paths crossed with Luke and Leia. And they took this alternate life and this took this pivot point. I guess, so when did you have this Han Solo moment? When did you kind of burn the boats and went off to this alternate path. Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, so the, the seeds were planted for this. You know, I talk about this a little bit on one of my episodes on my podcast. And, you know, so I was uh, I was a fairly, you know, I was a fairly academic guy in medical school and then in residency. And residency kind of beat it out of me a little bit. And I started, you know, not liking the hierarchical things about medicine and so on and so forth. And so it took a lot of, you know, what I loved and started turning it into more of a job. And I started looking for, you know, looking at other things, you know, not seriously, but just trying to keep my, my uh, mind open, other possibilities out there. And, you know, I got uh, my, I finished my training in the, uh, uh, let's see, it was July of 2008. The next day I got married and we went on our honeymoon the uh, the following day, and on, at the airport, I picked up a copy of Kiyosaki's Cash Flow Quadrant, and for me, it was an, an, an just an unbelievable eye opener. And, and it wasn't something I was necessarily looking for, but um, here I was, this guy who was, you know, um, great student, doing all the right things, going through college, going through medical school, you know, all this surgical training, etc. And I just read this cash flow credit book about different kinds of income and passive uh, passive income and so on and so forth. And the, all of those concepts were so foreign to me. But so I, I started getting really into these books. But, you know, I, I still ended up um, I didn't do anything about it at that point. I was just sort of enthusiastic about the idea. And I, I took my first job and I actually ended up uh, being more in the uh, cosmetic industry and 
in 2009, about nine months after I, you know, I, I finished my training, I was making uh, pretty good money in that first job. I mean, a lot more than I'd ever made as a resident. I was making like 50 grand, 50 grand a year in residency in San Francisco, which is you know pretty much below the poverty line there. But in 2009, uh, we'd moved to Chicago. I was working at this place and making good money. And I had some significant differences with the management and they just fired me. And I was like, oh my, what, what do I do now? And I was very upset. I was very emotional. I had this tremendous sense of failure. But then that lasted about probably about an hour or two. And then I was angry. I got angry and I figured out, okay, well, I got to do something. So instead of sitting around moping, I worked diligently and crazy to open up my own shop. And within... Uh, within two months of that firing, I was up and ready and, and doing my own thing and basically sort of mimicking the business that I was doing. I was doing a cosmetic surgical thing and it's all cash pay. So it's not an insurance pay. So it's a big risk as a business. It's really, you know, it's not like you're dealing with sick people who just come to you. I was putting all this money into broadcast media, which I didn't have money for. So television, radio, all this stuff. Um, and um, in short order, started to see tremendous success. So so I would say that that Han Solo moment or whatever you're talking about is was the firing itself. And that is uh, something that I've seen repeatedly amongst people who have actually gone on to be very successful is they lose their, their footing. They lose, uh, you know, somebody fires them and all their sense of reality goes away for just a moment and they have their crisis moment. So you know, you said the Chinese word for crisis is opportunity. And I think that that's what happened to me is I was primed for it. I got fired and then I went and executed because I had to. Now I was, I, you know, I was married and I had a, well, I think my daughter was about three months old. My first daughter was about three months old at the time. I had to at that point. I had no choice. And when you have to and you're motivated, that is a, a wonderful combination for good things to happen. I get in the room with a lot of these high-performing individuals and you get to know their story and it's some usually some pretty traumatic stories. Yeah. And there's a reason why they get to that point. And I also wanted to point out that for those of you who haven't listened to the Kiyosaki Cashflow Quadrant, he talks about four different, there's the entrepreneur, the business owner, the investor, and uh, what was the, the last one there? So there's self-employed. So yeah. there's the W-2 wage earner, who's the E, and the S is a self-employed business owner who's your typical, you know, physician, doctor, you know, Dr. Lane on the wall. And then there's the uh, business o- owner who is basically a passive owner of a business who doesn't have to be there in order for the business to function. And then there's the investor, who, which is, you know, just investing in, you know, other people's projects. And obviously, you don't have to worry about uh, day-to-day activity there either. Question uh, three here. You might have answered it, but what's your uh, worst life slash business moment? And what did you do after? What was the lesson learned? You know, it's a continuation of the story early on. So now I've got this business that's up and started. I've never started a business before. By the way, I did hire a consultant for that first business to set it up just on you know, the nuts and bolts. I mean, I had no idea. How do you, how do you, you know, how do you, how do you process a payment? How do you take a payment? How do you, you know, I have no idea. Right. So I hired a consultant to just help me with those nuts and bolts. And I got this business up and started. 
and that was in 2009 and then early 2010. By the way, in the amidst, basically, you know, the economy is kind of junk right now, right? So in the next couple of years, I had enormous success. You know, I was making seven figures and I was enjoying it. Thought it would continue forever. Bought a, you know, big fancy house. Just thought it would keep going. And, and so with my business that I had, what I did is I said, what, my lease, my initial lease was only for three years. And so I, instead of renewing a lease, I said, well, I'm going to buy a, a medical building, take this building that was there and turn it into a, you know, big, great, great big medical facility and so on and so forth. So I was in the middle of that. And that was in 2012. And one of the, one of the lessons, major lessons here is never, never get short on cash flow just a few months before a, a national uh, presidential election. So I was clearing a ton of money every month and I basically dumped a huge amount of my savings into this whole project and in this building project to get the new, new thing going. So I wasn't liquid at all. And I didn't have multiple streams of income or anything like that. What happened was the re-election of Obama. What happens is that in a couple months before an election, pretty much people stop making decisions. Um, that's a scientifically proven fact, actually, is that people tend to defer big decisions right before elections. So I went from, you know, huge six-figure monthly profits to all of a sudden my overhead was so substantial that I was having huge monthly six-figure losses. And it was happening so quickly, and I was way over leverage. Fortunately, I was able to survive. And, you know, it reminds me of a quote, Lane, and this is a good one for you, is that the key to business is to stick around long enough until you get lucky. Right. And that's you'll just realize how true that is. Right. Entrepreneurship is the is about all about attrition. It is. And so you stick around there. And what happened to me is, OK, well, things started getting better, but I was never going to let that happen again. So now, as you know, I am very diversified. OK, I I've got multiple businesses and multiple industries. I have real estate. I have all sorts of things going. And I'm constantly trying to think of something different, completely different from what I'm doing. And that was the net result of that, of, of getting into that crisis because I got caught with my pants down. I was in one industry, an industry where the only, no one had to have cosmetic surgery, right? They weren't sick and it was all, it wasn't insurance paid. It was all cash paid. No one had to have that. And all of a sudden, I got caught with my pants down and I had income coming in from nowhere else. That was what propelled me to the next level because I survived it. I learned from it and I went to the next level and, and realized what I needed to do to try to make this not happen again. So really propelled you to diversify with your, your investing in bus different businesses. Exactly. So the next question here is, you know, I always say the mark of a high performer is to put your ego aside and accept the help of others and join a mastermind. So the next uh, 90 to 100 days, what's what's one of the bigger medium sized goals you got going on? Maybe maybe people out here can help you out. Um, you know, for me, um, I have, uh, you know, on, on the smaller side of it, I guess, or on the 
and the, uh, not the smaller, but the the direct goals that I have are really, I have two startups, uh, again, in, in different industries, including an assisted living facility. What I'm hoping to do in the next 90 to 120 days is, is to get them to be cash flow even, or at least one of them. And, um, and so that's what I'm focused on right now. You know, the other thing is, as you know, and this is why we met at the uh, particular seminar that, that we did, you know, I've had a lot of success made more money than I ever thought I would or could, and making probably 10 times more than other people in my profession. And it's for me, it's not just about the money. It's For me, it's about the, the game, right? It's, it's the game. It's entrepreneurship. I love entrepreneurship. So when you ask, I think you, uh, you talk about you know, your number, right? I don't have a number. I, and that's why I don't know what my number is. Because for me, it's, it's just an ongoing thing. I love entrepreneurship. I love to talk about it. I love to do it. I love new ideas. I, you know, I have probably nearly seven figures in passive income alone. It doesn't stop me from continuing to try to take it to the next level. But one of the things that I really want to do, and I'm working on the next 60 to 90 days, is to start using my own successes and start getting involved in offering other people an opportunity to invest in what I'm doing. So that's a big step for somebody. I've been a lone wolf up to this point, right? So, and I've had a lot of successes. I've had failures. The failures have been more important than the successes because I've got some scar tissue along the way and that that keeps you safer than not having it. So I've had failures. You never wanna invest with somebody who doesn't have a few failures. And so I want to try to offer that to people who are making a good income and who would love to be able to invest in something for a stream of income, but are unable to do so because, you know, they haven't got the time or they don't feel like they can do it like, you know, like you're doing. I want to be able to offer private investments, essentially in a sort of a private uh, uh, asset management style. So for example, Looking at what I'm doing with assisted living facilities, I'm doing my prototype right now, and I have projections showing you know pretty darn good returns. So the next time around, I'm thinking maybe I'll do a build up uh, multiple ones of these and and have investors involved, and I put in my money, they put in their money, and everybody comes out ahead. So using what I have, um, the successes I've had, and so, and so on. To, to sort of share the wealth because that was a that's a big thing for me is I'm trying to with my own podcast right now I'm trying to give back I'm trying to teach people what I learn I'm trying to encourage people not to be lemmings and just let the you know Wall Street and the stock market kill their kill the savings that they have and actually try to help people do better I have a lot of people come and contact me through my uh, podcast and and my meetup, you know, for every 100 people that listen to listen or I meet, obviously it's real estate. So only 10, 10 people do something about it. And of those 10 people, probably about half of them will take the information that, that I give them and go buy a turnkey rental or, or whatever. But, you know, for the, the other five, they're like, oh, my, my goodness, this is, you know, this is actually some work. And they resort back to the stock market and, you know, become more sheeple that way. And I think that's great that once you've got a system down that you kind of bring those people up with you and uh, kind of save them from what's happening in the stock market. You know, hopefully, well, I can I can get people involved and hopefully make them money 
way I've made money for myself. And, you know, for me, too, when I think of investment opportunities, I think we make a mistake in thinking of only apartment buildings. You know, the whole model of private equity and being a, in, you know, an asset manager is about looking for opportunities. So I'm not focused just on real estate. I'm focused on on different opportunities that I think are profitable. Right now, the reality is, in, as you mentioned, in many markets, uh, Lane, right now, apartment buildings are not the best deal in town, right? So um, every, you know, the, the, the people who are out there who are the, the rainmakers in, uh, in terms of uh, the financial world, you know, the Goldman Sachs and the, the big traders like George Soros and Stanley Druckenmiller, they're all out of the market. They're not in the stock market. In fact, they're shorting the stock market right now. And, and essentially, they're betting against it. Everybody's, everybody I'm hearing right now who is a big player is, is betting that everything's going to go south. I think trying to help people understand that and save their own money you know, is, is a big service. And, uh, you know, I think you're doing that. So, you know, I congratulate you on that. But um, I, th- I think offering alternatives is, is really important. So real estate's not the only thing out there either. I mean, you can look at businesses and you can look at agriculture and you can look at a, a number of things that are very safe, tangible investments. And I think you mentioned it twice. And just so that the listeners know, assisted living facility, it's a, I don't know if you want to describe that. So when people think assisted living facility, and so if, you know, if your listeners out there, you know, if you have elderly parents or in my, in my case, I have this, um, my mother-in-law is in this assisted living facility. And typically what you think of is this big sterile box, right? This big uh, building that was built in, in the sixties in a commercial district. I hate that paradigm because I think of it as almost exiling our, you know, our parents. It's in um, Happy Gilmore where he sent his mom and they put her to slavery to sew and do <laughs> yeah. other things, right? Right. And, and you know, it's sad, right? Because these people are, you know, most of them, uh, you know, depending where they live, of course, you know, they live in homes and neighborhoods their entire lives. And then they get to a certain age and then they move across the street from a mini mall and, and they look at, you know, I mean, it's, it's terrible, right? And then, you know, you get a bunch of people, um, even in the nicer ones, it's just, it's a, it's depressing. And I think there's tremendous of, uh, amount of literature out there about how, about how people, how elderly people get depressed and they feel lonely in these kinds of facilities. So, um, there's a different concept, which is to, to take individual homes and to convert them into smaller sort of assist, uh, mini assisted living facilities. So, my recent project or my, my current project right now is the prototype of this. And what I'm doing is I'm taking a, a ranch house that I bought and I'm putting a huge, you know, huge uh, wing on it and I'm turning it into a 16 bedroom assisted living facility. Now, the, the key here is that, first of all, it's small. It's going to have a, a higher um, caregiver to client ratio or lower, I should say. And it is... Uh, and, and probably the biggest thing is it's in a neighborhood, right? So now you're not telling people, okay, you're done living in a neighborhood, go go move across the street, to, you know, near the movie theater. You're actually keeping them in a neighborhood, trying to make everything seem like home still. And, you know, you have a backyard, you have a big yard, we're going to put a garden in there, I'm going to put a vegetable garden in there. It's the humane thing to do, right? And it is, it's the right thing to do. I think it's a great business model because you know it's a great business model when everybody wins. Because imagine yourself, you know, that your clients in these cases are often not the elderly people themselves, but 
the children. So if you're taking your own parents to uh, somewhere to drop them off, wouldn't you feel much better dropping them off to a place that looked like a house rather than a, a facility or an institution? It's got great numbers too. The demographic is huge. The baby boomers are, are not going away for a while. So that's my latest project. So that's what I'm doing right now. I'm doing a prototype because I never like to, uh, I, I, want, I like to first prove something with my own money. And, and then if it it goes the way I think it will, I think it'll be a great opportunity for a lot of people to invest. That assisted living is out of everything out there you can invest in. That's really the can't miss one thing. I mean, well, you can always <laughs> miss. You can always miss, but I mean, but I just think look at the demographics. I mean, that's it's right. So, and so obvious. The, the 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 thing with the assisted living, and 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 I think that it's it's a you're right in that. I think if you execute right, I think you're you know you're in good shape, but. You're also dealing with a very delicate portion of the population, and you got to be really careful. So you have to execute it very, very well. You have to you have to look at these things as if you're doing it for your own parents. And sometimes that makes it, it's it's a higher it, there definitely is a higher barrier of entry. So this may not be you know this may not be ideal for somebody who has no business experience or real estate experience right away to do on their own. Although certainly it's been done, I'm sure, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying it can't be done, but I certainly wouldn't feel as comfortable in this space had I not had significant business and in real estate experience, as well as, you know, substantial capital to support it during the phase of, of getting people in there. Right. And, but that barrier to entry is actually makes your job easier at the end of the day. It's just similar how when I'm in the single family realm, I'm fighting with every Dick, Jane, and Harry out there. When I step up to larger deals, the competition gets a lot lower. Yeah, so it's interesting you say that, Lane, because that's one of the major things that I've learned in the last few years in business is run, you know, when you see people running in a certain direction, run the other way. And it's not because they're, you know, they're doing anything wrong. It's just that if they're, you know, competition, if there's no competition, I mean, it's a lot easier to win. Right. It's it's so much easier to win in an apartment buildings. You're talking about there actually is a sweet spot. The problem you have is that these traders and these, you know, Wall Street people, they know the stock market's going south. They know it is. So they're dumping a ton of money into assets, but they're not going to go buy your you know, they're not going to buy a single family house. I mean, Blackwater bought like thousands of them at once as a portfolio back in 2008. But but what they're really looking at is those buildings that are above sort of the $10 million point. Smaller funds are looking at things in that 5 to 10 range. The sweet spot, in my view right now, in, in real estate is investing is probably between $1 and $4 million. And the reason is that institutions don't care about those deals, right? They're, they're too small syndications it's actually a little bit small to do a syndication on something that's about four million you'll you agree with that by the way yeah and that that's kind of like that really small niche that i'm trying to fit in right right yeah. but then if you get if you get below a million dollars there's a lot of private investors individual investors who are out there you know looking for deals but in 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 what you're doing by going between that one and four million is you're basically putting up a wall because there's not that many people who can afford house to buy apartment buildings or assets between one and four million dollars by themselves. Below four million, it's hard to get you know significant uh, funds or partnerships together to deal with anything that small. 
So you've got this opportunity, I think, in that area. If you can find investors, smaller investors to get in, I think that that's where the cap rates are going to be better. Just below the institutional buyers and just above those those rich individuals who don't play nicely with others. Exactly, exactly. One of the last questions I got is uh, Tony Robbins identifies two large concepts that we're continually struggling to gain perfection in. The first is the arbor fulfillment, and the second is the science of achievement. So, Buck, if you died tomorrow, and these were the final words of wisdom, what is your secret to the science of an achievement and the art of a fulfillment? Art of fulfillment is to make your work something that you would do even if you didn't get paid for it. You want to make what you do on an everyday basis um, what you want to do, not because you have to do. And that's where having multiple streams of income and trying to uh, make yourself more financially free is is key. So I, I would say that. And the science of achievement, that's easy. The science of achievement is actually going out there and trying something. Okay, you have to go out and try to do something and you have to make mistakes. We are programmed to learn that way. You know, when we're babies and we're trying to learn to walk, we fall down and then we get back up and we fall down again and then eventually we're able to walk. We don't we don't get up and try to walk once, fall down and say, shoot, man, it's too hard. I'm going to stay crawling. We don't do that. Right. But that's the way we become because our educational system starts to spoon feed us. So the, the key is you have to push, you have to try new things. You have to constantly be pushing your comfort zone. If you find yourself not feeling uncomfortable, you're not pushing hard enough. So that to me is you know success into learning. Dave Asprey from the Bulletproof Executive, he has young kids and he always, after every day, he asks the kids, what did you fail in today? What, what did you go after? And he uh, doesn't praise successes. He, he praises those failures. Anything we missed there that you'd like to uh, leave with? No, uh, I, mean, I think, um, I, I think I, my advice to everybody is just to go out there and do it. You know, just try some things. It'll make your life more rich. It'll be, it'll be more exciting. Never believe in the idea of a comfortable job because it doesn't exist. Prepare, you know, just, just go out there and, and, uh, and, and do your best and, and take some shots at things. And before you know it, you'll become a pro. If you want to hear my own show, it is Wealth Formula Podcast. It's Wealth Formula Podcast. And it's what the URL, the domain name is wealthformula.com. That's uh, it's the blog, but mostly it's just the podcast. There are on that website, there are a lot of basic financial information and, you know, just for people who are just getting started, who don't even know what a mortgage is, that kind of thing. There's advanced financial stuff. So and a lot of the show is about mindset and it's about we also interview a lot of people who are offering potential investments, etc. So hopefully uh, it'll be useful to some people. I'm a subscriber. It's it's very unique content you have there. I mean, there's so much iTunes is just inundated with all these you know people trying to sell something or some kind of sales agenda. But you definitely got. A lot more higher level concepts there. So I appreciate it. I left you a review. So. <laughs> oh, thank you. I think you're the only review I have. I know I have, I, have a, I have a fair number of downloads, but I never ask people for reviews or subscriptions. I probably should and get the word out. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's what those internet marketers say. You need to ask for it. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Exactly. 
All right, Buck, but I know you gotta. You probably gotta hang out with the kids. It's it's the weekend, so I know you woke up early to do this interview with me. So appreciate that. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks everybody for listening. This is a simple passive cash flow podcast. Please leave a review. Thanks. Bye. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.